0: Today, we are talking about making better work, doing better work by becoming an intolerant person. That's right, intolerant. Hey, it's Lucas Grobot, and you're listening to Weaver and Loom. And welcome back to Weavering Loon Own the Future. This is episode 127. And I'm doing things a little bit differently today as we are actually live here on Instagram and on YouTube. And uh, so this is the first time we're doing it live. Hey to everyone who has joined. Allah, so many of you. Salam alaikum. If, uh, if you have any questions about this episode or any other episode please ask them throughout the episode and hopefully I will be able to get back to them at the end of the episode and answer them for you live and we'll also show up live on the podcast so that's kind of cool so we'll see if you guys like this format or not and uh hopefully hopefully you do I'm already beginning to like it um I'm a little nervous but that's good It's good. So, today we are talking about how we can do better work, how to make better work through becoming an intolerant person, through becoming intolerant. That's right. I know I stuck for a law. We're supposed to be tolerant and loving and caring. um, And this thought of being intolerant um, is a crazy notion, but let me explain. So, first off, The thesis today is how to do better work. Well, first, we have to recognize that better work doesn't just happen. We don't just wake up and all of a sudden we have better work. As we've talked about on the previous episode, we are always moving in a direction. When we stop to deliberate, we've actually took action. We've actually made a choice. And that action, that choice will further perpetuate us down. A road of a certain action. So I wanted to bring this up today because often I think to myself, and I tell myself this story that as I grow older, I think that I will automatically get better. I think that my bad habits will automatically go away and I'll grow in better habits. But that's just not the truth. For instance, I am organizationally challenged. I am. I am great with organizing my thoughts. I'm great with organizing my ideas, but I'm not so great in organizing the files on my computer or great at organizing the cables and cords in my closet. And actually, as I've grown older, my organization gets worse and worse and worse. I've actually grown more and more tolerant of my bad ideas because I don't prioritize organization. I have a hierarchy in my life and in my mind, and I've prioritized other things besides organization. So that slips down into the priority list and chaos begins to ensue in the life around me, in my life around me. But I always say this, and it's not true. It's Keep having birthdays, you know, just year after year, plug away. If you just keep having birthdays, you're going to grow into the person that you want to become, but that's not necessarily true. It's like saying, just keep putting in the reps. But if you are in a sport or you are a musician or you're an artist and you're putting in the reps day in, day out, but you're not analyzing the quality of those reps, you're not recognizing if those reps are good, you're not recognizing if those reps are actually Being done in the right way, you could easily be doing reps thinking that you're getting better when actually, over time, you are getting worse. Your muscle memory, you're programming the wrong things into your muscle memory. So, how do we do better work? Well, to answer that question, we have to define the word and the term better. And in order to know what better work is, we have to understand who our work's for, and what our work's for. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. Who is our work for? Who is our craft for? Who is our words for, our art for, our leadership for? And what is it for? What is the outcome that we are looking and trying to achieve? Second, once we have figured out who and what we're building, who we're building it for and what we're building, we then are able to figure out how to put the pieces together. And at that point, once we know what our goal is, where we're going, we can then begin to build a spec and begin to build for someone and something rather than anyone or anything. And oftentimes, intolerance comes into our work, into our leadership, into our parenting when we generalize our work. When instead of being specific and saying, actually, I didn't make this for everyone. For instance, whoever it was down here, uh, S7 NII said, let's leave. Right? Shahad said, go. Exactly. This podcast, this show isn't for everyone, but maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for someone. And I can feel confident in my delivery, even when trolls are online saying, hey, let's leave. It's like, great. This isn't for you, but you can only do that once you realize and know who it's for. And at that point, you can begin to become intolerant as you build. And as you grow intolerant, you actually become more excellent in your skill. I'll continue. So once we know where we're going, we're able to become more intolerant. We cut out tolerance and we stop accepting bad work or acceptable work or good enough work. And we do away with it. We say death tolerance right again today tolerance is like a buzzword that people are throwing around saying we need to be more tolerant of this and that and the other but you don't want a bridge that is more tolerant you don't want science or craft to be tolerant because tolerance in those terms means that things are poorly fitted together that things are loose that things don't have to quite match up perfectly you don't want a bridge that you say yeah you know it doesn't really matter how long this cord is. It will kind of hold together. No, you want everything to be precisely created and made. So there's the famous story of the Toyota assembly line. And this story appears in books like Lean Startup. And in a traditional assembly line, like the old Ford assembly lines, they would have huge boxes of bolts and parts. And a worker would grab a bolt, a lug nut, for, let's say, and try to chuck it on the car and if it didn't fit quite right, you just throw it in the trash bin and go and pick up another bolt to try to install it. So if one bolt was a little wonky, the threading wasn't quite right, they just move on to the next one. And that's kind of our idea of assembling a line. We're just gonna make a lot of parts and they don't all need to fit perfectly. We'll just find one out of the hundred that work. Well, these first cars that came off the assembly line had a high level of tolerance built into them, meaning that there was a pretty wide margin of error that the parts were able to have. Now, at first, you think that, well, this is great. These cars, you know, the per- the part doesn't have to fit perfectly. But it actually created inefficient vehicles. If bolts don't fit perfectly, they'll be a little bit loose. And that means the engine will rattle a little bit more. There's going to be more wear and tear on the car. And sooner or later, the car will break down. And parts are actually also wasted in the production of the car and in the storage of the car. And productivity goes down through having a less tolerant car. So this thinking is actually counterintuitive. So Toyota took a different approach. They said, instead of making a really tolerant car, we're going to make an intolerant car and they said instead of having a hundred bolts in a bin that can fit this part we're gonna have one bolt because the car only needs one bolt so we're gonna make one bolt for the car right so this is what happened as they begin their new assembly line with one part for each part of the car if a bolt doesn't fit perfectly they shut down the entire assembly line. Everyone stops for one, two hours, maybe two days until they go back with that one part, find out what went wrong with it, why it went wrong, and how to fix that problem. Once they fix the problem, they can start the assembly line up again and they can go on to making the next car. They decided in their system, in their engineering, that there was no room for tolerance that everything had to be precisely and exactly made. This is called, in the engineering world, Six Sigma. Now, Six Sigma is a process in where one in which 99.99966% of all opportunities produce some feature of a part are statistically expected to be free of defects. That's from Wikipedia. It's kind of a mouthful. What that really means is that if you made a million products, you'd only have 3.4 with some kind of defect in it. In other words, your process, your system, your manufacturing, your art, your craft is so fine-tuned that you can do something a million times and it'll be on point every time minus maybe four of those times. That is what six sigma means. That's zero, nearly zero tolerance. Every bolt has to be crafted just right. Every note has to be played just right. Every stroke of your pen, every word has to be placed just right. This is a level of excellence that is crazy. Could you imagine playing a piece of music correctly that in a million notes you're only getting four notes wrong? That is such a level of excellence that few of us ever achieve in our life, but that's not because uh, it's, it's, we probably don't achieve that in our life because we don't actually decide to use the discipline that is required to reach Six Sigma, right? Because Toyota, it didn't just happen overnight, but it happened when they stopped down their entire production line and stopped to ask, why did this go wrong? What was the root of the issue? And you better believe that once they found that root of the issue, it never happened again. So, here are some practical takeaways, some specific ways that you can apply the Six Sigma method. There's lots of different methodologies in it, but some simple tools that you can use in your life to begin to reduce tolerance in areas of your life. One way that I love is asking the five whys. And actually, I write about this in my book, Anchored the Discipline to Stop. Drifting, and uh, it's a great book. I love this book. I wrote it um, a couple years ago, and been editing and processing it, and it is out on Amazon and wherever books are sold online. I highly recommend it. And I talk about these five whys, and these five whys is essentially when something goes wrong, you ask why, and then you ask why did that happen, and then why? So you ask why five times until you find the root of the problem. Another thing that you can do is it's called PDSA, which is plan, do, study, adapt. And so you make a plan and you quickly act. And then you go back and you reflect, you study, okay, how did that action go? How did that plan go? And then you adapt. Now, I know for myself, what I end up doing is I plan and I do, like I take action. And I rarely stop to study or I just get stuck studying and I'm not able to decipher the data well enough to adapt or act. So I skip a step and that actually hurts me in the long run. So the, the point is you have to continue to move forward. You can't just wait and hope to improve and you can't just keep working and hope to improve. You actually have to be working and on every stop of the way, anytime time you notice that something is out of place, you have to take a couple steps back, take some time, and ask why. And it takes much longer than you might think. When I was in high school, I was in drumline, and we were highly competitive. We actually won first in our class, or yeah, first in our class in state one year, and 12th in the nation of the United States. So we were a highly competitive drum corps in high school. And we would, whenever we're practicing and we're doing drills, if we messed up one, note, one measure, we would stop and we'd go back and we would drill that one measure over and over and over again. We'd even break it down into the rudiments and the fundamentals that were found in that measure until everything was perfect. And it would take sometimes one hour to get five seconds of music tot- totally nailed. So that when we're in a performance, we know that, you know, 100 times out of 100, we're going to nail that piece. And it took that level of commitment, that level of focus, that level of intolerance in our music to get us to that level. We didn't tolerate any little ticks, any little. Uh, mistakes zero tolerance and but in order to do that we also focused on the fundamentals there's in in drum corps there's a, a warm-up called eight on a hand and it's exactly as it sounds you're playing quarter notes eight on one hand and eight on the other it sounds something like this Now imagine doing that for 15 or 20 minutes a day. Sometimes we'd practice that in warm-up. We'd practice eight on a hand for 20 minutes, just warming up and making sure every note was precise, the single stroke. Because it's those fundamental building blocks. When we have zero tolerance in those fundamental building blocks, we're actually able to build something that's great. So how does this apply back to our creative work or our leadership? So how can we take action, right? How do we take practical action on this if we're not building, let's say, a car or we're not in a musical production? So because the the purpose of this, right, the who's it for and the what's it for, the who's this for is for change makers, because I believe you are a change maker. And what's it for is to allow us to take action to actually have a positive impact on the people around us, whether we're leading dozens or hundreds or one day thousands and millions of people, we are called to actually impact the world around us. So a simple way that a simple way that we can begin implementing this, for me, for myself, what I'm doing is I'm making sure that everything has a place and I'm putting it in the right place, whether it's putting a cord in a proper drawer, whether it's putting my remote control for my lights in the proper place. And it's taking those small actions and not letting myself grow loose in it. Because when I grow loose in it, I feel the pain later on in life. It it builds up the chaos in my life, builds up, builds up, builds up until I have to address it. And in that moment, it's normally because of chaos and panic. So how can you recognize what to work on and what to improve, what to stop giving yourself tolerance for. Well, the simple question that I like to ask is, what are you hiding in the fog? What are you hiding in the fog? What are the subjects that you would rather ignore or the relationships that you'd rather avoid or the numbers or feedback or opinions that you are purposely avoiding and ignoring and stepping over? What are those things? Write those down. If there is something that you know that you are hiding in the fog that you're purposely not paying attention to, that is probably the first thing that you should begin to pay attention to and stop giving yourself tolerance for. Stop giving yourself grace for and ignoring it in your life because it will come back to hurt you. Another way it's to ask yourself, what, is, what are those things that always seem to pop up and bite you at the worst times, like getting a flat tire, or all of a sudden your engine dies because you never changed the oil. It's because you're hiding things in the dark. You're not taking care of your car properly. Maybe that's happening in your relationships Are you not taking care of your relationships properly. So the path to better work starts there. It's by not letting things hide in the fog. So reduce your tolerance for good enough, through being ruthless through asking why and through correcting your work or your methodology and this this takes time right so in time you will actually find that your level of tolerance will go down and your level of intolerance for mediocre unhealthy relationships will go up so like you have to be intolerant with mediocrity you have to be intolerant with unhealthy relationships. Now that does not mean ignoring those relationships. It means confronting relationships healthily and understanding where did you go wrong and where did the other person go wrong. And finally, it will allow you to begin to operate at a level of excellence that will enable you to not only own your future, but to weave your destiny. Anyways, that's all for today's episode. I don't think I got any questions, but that's okay. If you go to my website, com, you can actually leave a question and I will answer it for you on the podcast. And if you do, you'll get free merch. I got stickers here, just like the stickers right here on the computer that was made by Sabrina in Muscat. She did an amazing job. I love this one, the the name tag one. I'm an absolute nobody. And so please, Thank you for listening and please ask your questions. And finally remember, I'm Lucas Scrobot. You are a change maker, and this is where destiny is woven.